mate. Now let's uh, turn to <coughs> the book of Genesis chapter 6. Now, um, <coughs> I had originally intended to just kind of uh, preach a message in relation to what I wanted to consider in the text here. But as I began to write, it became evident again that I was going to need uh, at least, well, yeah, just one other um, uh, yeah, session to finish it. So I'll do it in two parts. So this is the first part of a two-part series and, um, we'll, and uh, I will minister the rest of that next week. <coughs> but the text that we're going to look at, which I'm sure some of you have already clued on to, is um, a has been a controversial text and still is in many ways over the years in relation to what it contains. And so it's, um, it's been debated amongst many as, as to exactly what it is that, that uh, the scripture is referring to here and we're going to look at that ourselves today. But uh, I even myself, I think over the course of my journey as a Christian, I entertained some of the thoughts that I consider to be an error and um, also uh, just considered the fact that um, having uh, come to a place of realising through various teachings and ministries of other men and also as that drew me back to the word of God to read it to understand what it is that's actually transpiring and happening here in Genesis chapter 6. Now the error that, before we read the text, the error that is commonly associated with this particular text has to do with the fact that uh, it is claimed that the fallen angels, basically demons, uh, manifested themselves on the earth and took wives for themselves of the daughters of men, had sexual relations with those, uh, with those wives and women and uh, produced an offspring that was uh, is, uh, referred to as an Nephilim and giants. And, so, um, and then obviously that quickened and brought about the judgment of God that related to the flood and in, in terms of destroying uh, that uh, hybrid race, I guess, or group of people, if you want to call it, uh, that existed. And so you may have heard that for the first time and you're thinking, oh, wow. But that is actually what's being taught and believed by uh, many people and prominent people, well-respected teachers, much better than uh, what I'm going to offer this morning in terms of uh, what the Lord has uh, put upon my heart. But um, nevertheless, that's what is... is, is um, uh, is being put forth. But I believe that that is an error and, um, and as I've listened to men, you may recall, obviously he's been with us now many times, Morris Nicholson has made reference to this uh, and uh, sought to uh, correct it. But there's been also another individual that I'm familiar with, his name is Sidlow Baxter and he also addresses it in a book that he has um, which is called Problem Texts of the Bible and so he devotes a whole chapter where he addresses it as well and I appreciated his writings uh, on it and um, in actual fact it was probably that which inspired me to uh, as well as other things to preach what I'm going to minister this morning. So in saying that what is the intent and purpose behind what I'm doing this morning and I, I want to make that clear because I'm not just here to um, address or try and look at and consider the teaching that we consider to be an error, that is not my purpose. There's far greater men than myself who are capable uh, of doing that. 
But what I want to do is I want us to have a proper understanding of what the context is and what the truth is that is contained within this particular portion of text because um, Morris Nicholson in an article that he writes on this particular chapter, he concludes his article and he says these words. He says, perhaps it is time to reassess our understanding of Genesis chapter 6 and to teach its truths unequivocally and clearly. And it's really in that context, as I have pondered this, that I I feel led of the Lord to, to minister this morning that which is contained within this, the principal truth that we find in Genesis chapter 6. We want it to be stated, we want it to be understood, we want it to have a clear understanding of what's happening and why it's happening and why God's doing what he's doing and then we want to take that truth and we want to apply it and see it right throughout the Bible, right throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament and the New Testament which we'll look at next week but in establishing this truth it is important for us because this is the starting point, this is where we first begin to identify and find the error that is or the the issue that is contained within this particular chapter. And so I'm not going to go through all the arguments of those that teach that it's fallen angels, although I'll make reference to it uh, in context, but that's not my scope, that's not my intention. That's not my purpose. I want to state, I want to demonstrate, and I want to track with you the truth that is contained within this scripture. And in light of that, the title of this particular message this morning is called The Sin of the Son's of God. The sin of the sons of God. So in that light, let's read our text in Genesis chapter 6 and we'll read from verse 1 through 8. (coughs) The Bible says, Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with men forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of men was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made men on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy men whom I have created from the face of the earth, both men and beasts, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord." So here we have it, it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and the daughters, many daughters I guess were born to them and they have a population of the earth that's growing and then we find that the sons of God saw the daughters of men. The sons of God saw the daughters of men. Now the question comes forth is who are the sons of God? 
Who are these sons of God being referred to in the scripture and in the text? Because uh, this is where the contention lies and this is where it must be stated clearly as we consider this, the sons of God. Why is it there? What does it mean? And so as people try and interpret this, they have uh, gone to, um, uh, in Job, you know, the sons of God came before the Lord and Satan was amongst them. And so this is where uh, we find it in the book of Job, this reference in the Old Testament that refers to the, the sons of God. And so yet we find even in this instance that, that um, even though Satan is amongst the sons of God, that that does not indicate nor does it just tell us that those angels are fallen angels. In actual fact, it is clear if you look at it, in my opinion, that it's unfa- there are unfallen angels. Satan has presented himself amongst the sons of God. Not that the the whole array of them are Satan and fallen angels. And not only that, that can be verified as well in in Job chapter 38 by which where the sons of God sang for glory when they saw the creation of God. And so again, this reference is to unfallen angels, not fallen angels. And so the sons of God here, these are the various references that we find just in the Old Testament Itself, But it is here, the sons of God. So what is it that is being referred to? Are angels being referred to here? Because it's not the only place in the Bible that we find such a phrase of sons of God. It applies to us as, as Christians, as believers in the Lord. We are sons of God. And so the, the term uh, must, must be identified in what it is that it's referring to. I believe... And as it says clearly in verse 3, the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with men. Men, there's clearly men that is in view in this particular portion of text. It is reiterated over and over in various verses that we'll identify over the course of time. In verse 1, when men began to multiply, when they saw the daughters of men, and so they took wives and the Lord said, My, uh, my spirit shall not strive with men. And you can read on and there's this emphasis of, upon man, man in, in, in the strictest sense of who man is after his own kind according to the creation of God. And so we have this uh, being indicated. So the sons of God are also related uh, to that which relates to men and we'll get to this further in a moment. It says in verse 4, Then there were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men of old, men of renown. And so, we'll get, again, we're going to come back to this. But you see, the sons of God in verse 2, if you understand and if you look at the context of the scripture and if you trace it back in the various chapters, you'll begin to identify that the sons of God that are being referred to here in verse 2 is nothing other than the godly line of Seth. Now think about this, this is the godly line of Seth that comes forth from Adam. If you read the the, the chapter prior, in chapter 5, you will see it is a complete account of the line of Seth over the course of ten generations that's being uh, outlined for us throughout chapter 5 and then now it comes to pass. And so there's a continuation of that particular line and you must understand that the line of Seth is very significant as it relates to the plan and purposes of God. 
And so here, the line of Seth, in a sense, is, in fact, is actually identified as the sons of God. It's a term that is associated with the godly seed. Okay, that's must, this is the principle. It's with the godly seed. Now, stick with me as we move through this. And so those angels are, are, are not referred to as the sons of God in this instance. It's not referring to angels. It's referring to the godly line of Seth as identified in the previous chapter. It is the godly seed. Why is it so in this case? Because it must be understood that in chapter 4, we have a, in previous chapters, we have two lines. It's the line of Cain and it's the line of Seth that is being identified for us. And so if you see in chapter 4, it talks about the, the family of Cain, it talks about his descendants and it gives us into the seventh generation, finishing with Lamech and, uh, uh, and then it shifts and moves to, uh, uh, to Seth. And this is very significant. But you have these two lines and there is a clear distinction made in the scripture in chapters 4 and 5 between the two lines and for good reason too because of the, what we know happened with Cain and Abel. And so in Cain's uh, killing of Abel uh, and he, he, him destroying the righteous men and the blood of Abel that was shed, we understand that they invoked the judgment of God upon himself uh, and in doing so he was cast out uh, and he was cast away as a vagabond and he went out from the presence of the Lord. He went out from the, uh, from the entrance of the Garden of Eden and he went out to, to pursue his own under the, uh, under the judgment of God, the line of Cain. So chapter 5 is dealing with a new breed, if you want to call it, or a new line, and that is uh, uh, the godly line of Seth. And so you can see this, even at the end of chapter, chapter 4, we see this identified. And so Seth, in actual fact, means appointed. And so, you know, when Eve gave, after Abel was killed, Eve gave birth to Seth and so Seth means appointed and so um, that, that carries the understanding here. He was appointed by God. And in actual fact, in verse 26 of chapter 4, it says, And as for Seth, um, to him also a son was born and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. See, here is the appointed, the replacement of Abel, whom Cain killed. Seth has now been appointed into the godly line. He is now part of this uh, uh, divine sovereign purpose of God. And here we now identify the fact that the line of Seth is, is appointed to that place in replacement of Abel, whom Cain killed, and he <coughs> and his descendants now are identified as those who are calling upon the name of the Lord. And then we move forward in chapter 5 and we see <coughs> this is exactly what, ha what is happening. See, this all goes back to the Garden uh, of Eden, doesn't it? You see, because remember, God, uh, because of the fall, the whole issue of God's judgment upon man and he's also his declaration against the devil and he's the prophecy that came forth in Genesis 3, verse 15, which speaks about the seed of the woman. And so right there you have God's prophecy, speaking of Christ, the ultimate redeemer and sin bearer who would come to redeem and correct that which has now happened through the fall. 
And so you have this instance now by which um, uh, God has set forth prophetically the prophetic purposes that the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. And so you, you uh, right throughout the scriptures, this sets the scene for Satan who is insistent on trying to hinder the plan and purpose of God to bring forth the Messiah. And this is exactly, we can identify this right throughout the Old Testament and the various happenings and experiences that we identify, we see a demonic assault and a demonic strategy that wants to constantly undermine and thwart the purposes of God. And so this is what's at work even in this particular chapter, in chapter 6, because the godly line of Seth, that has been appointed by God is now the uh, the the the, the um, is the uh, what is the word I'm looking for is the target of the enemy to destroy that seed, that godly seed, and so the sons of God are related to that particular line, the line of Seth. <coughs> so the devil is consistently been at work and still is in, in, in a different way now but still on to the same end in relation to the coming of, of Christ and the fulfilment of prophecies. But you see, the background of chapter 6 is important for us to understand as we seek to establish. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth that daughters were born, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all that they chose. You see, it says in verse 2 that the sons of God saw the daughters of men. You see, this is where the enemy has sought to bring about a destruction and corrupt the godly line. Because he's now, now that man is multiplying and that there's the daughters are brought, uh, are brought forth and there's much and many to choose from, and uh, they saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. I mean, they were lovely to behold. So the temptation, you could imagine, is great. And so, you know, there's a small, if you want to call it, there's a smorgasbord of, of women there. And so the temptation is uh, to move outside of that and begin to, uh, and that's what they did. The Bible says that they began to take wives for themselves of all that they chose. Now this is in direct um, contradiction of God's purpose and instruction and plan for this particular line, the line of Seth and the people that we know, know as the sons of God. They took them in marriage, the Bible says. The sons of God saw the daughters of men and took them in marriage. Now this is the, the, the sons of God, meaning the line of Seth, saw the daughters of men, meaning the line of Cain. How do we know that? Because the scripture says, it gives us further keys to interpret this when it says that they, that they were beautiful. They saw that they were beautiful. Now if you, uh, again, if you go back to the line of Cain and you look at um, uh, the Lamech, the seventh of Adam, I mean uh, the seventh of Cain, he has a daughter and he names one of his daughters Neymar. And this means beautiful, this word beautiful. 
And so this captures for us uh, uh, the, the atmosphere, if you like, the, the, the scenario that surrounds the world at that, this point of time. So uh, Lamech names his daughter uh, Neymar, which means beautiful. And now the sons of God uh, are, are seeing the daughters of men, that they are beautiful. And now they are taking wives for themselves. You say, well, what's wrong with that? It's, everything is wrong with it when you begin to understand how God works and what God says. You see, <coughs> Enoch in the scripture, who's the seventh from Adam, Enoch, we understand, walked with God and he was a righteous man and God took him for he was not. But what's important to understand is that Enoch, who was a God-fearing man who walked with God, he was living in amongst a generation of people who were not God-fearing. And he was living in amongst a generation, in the same generation, mind you, as Lamech, the seventh of, of Cain. And so you have uh, the, the godly line of Seth, which is Enoch, and then you have Cain and his line, and you have Lamech, and you have his daughters, uh, uh, Neymar, and, uh, and so here you have um, Enoch, and what is important to understand is Enoch knew what was going on. He was observing the corruption of the godly seed. He was observing the corruption of the sons of God, of the line of Seth, uh, in his own day. That is why uh, when he had a son, he named his son Methuselah and Methuselah means uh, uh, the dart or son of the dart, something like that. But what he was doing, he was prophetically saying that my son, will be, uh, his life will be indica an indicator of the judgment of God that will come upon the wicked. And so we know the year in which Methuselah died was the year in which the God brought about the flood. And so here you have it, the Enoch himself was a preacher of righteousness as the Bible tells us and he would have been appealing to the line of Seth, his brethren, the sons of God and say to them, you must not corrupt the godly seed. You must live holy. You must live righteous before the Lord. You must have no dealings with this particular line of Cain that is under the judgment of God. But yet he saw it, it was happening in his day and it came to pass, as it says in verse 1 of chapter 6. And so you can see again the significance of this. I mean, Lamech had two wives, which we know is contrary to the original purpose of God, wasn't it? So when it says that they saw wives, uh, they took wives for themselves, uh, they, they took more than one. They said, there's too many beautiful women here. And so they began to multiply their wives. And so you have this issue of polygamy that is, is, is beginning to manifest itself which is contrary to the purpose of God in, in the original creation. And so you have that aspect but not only that, when you look at the life of Lamech, the, the uh, seventh from Cain, you begin to see that he was also a violent man because he says, I killed a man for hurting me, I killed a man for wounding me and so he was a man of rage. Not only was he a man of immoral, but he was a man of rage and violence. And so you have this already manifesting itself amongst humanity during this period. And again, these hold various keys to us understanding the Genesis chapter 6 and what's happening here. 
And so they inter- so so what is the sin of the sons of God? The sins of the sons of God is this: is that they intermarried with the son, uh, with the daughters of Cain. They they had mixed marriages with with the righteous and the wicked. And this, in the sight of God, was an abomination. This was wrong. This was wickedness. This was corruption. This was contrary to the plan and purpose of God. And this principle finds itself patterned right throughout the Old Testament and New Testament and we'll see this when I go into it more so next week. I'm laying a foundation here for us to have an understanding. But it is important that we, that we recognise this. And so their sin before God was they intermarried. They saw the daughters of men and, they, they, and so rather than call upon the Lord, rather than be faithful to God, rather than live in obedience to God, they began to pursue the, the women and their, their own lusts and their own desires and they compromised. And by doing that, they corrupted the godly seed. This is what's happening. So let's go to verse 4. It says here, there were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men of old, men of renown. Now the Bible says that there were giants on the earth in those days. This is where we get the word Nephilim, giants. And so again this is important because again those that hold to the angel theory will say that the Nephilim are a hybrid and that they are, they are basically uh, fallen angels. And so again I have great controversy now with this and that is not, I do not believe at all this is what is actually happening. In actual fact to, to make the Nephilim the byproduct of the sons of God going into the daughters of men is to stretch what is actually and it is written in verse 4. It just says there were giants on the earth in those days and afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. So it's not that the Nephilim are the result of the, the sons of God going into the daughters of men. That's not what it's saying. That's reading into it. It's just saying that there were giants on the earth in those days and so there was literally giants on the earth. The Nephilim were, uh, the, the word is, again carries for us an understanding. But see, uh, we must also note this before I move forward. It says that there were giants on the earth in those days and afterwards. So in other words, even after the flood, doesn't the Bible speak about the, uh, the Nephilim? Doesn't it talk about the giants? Wasn't Goliath of the giants and of Anak? And so you had various off shoots of the Nephilim and the giants, but the giants existed even after the flood. So does that mean that angels were still having sex with women outside of the, after the flood? You see, when you begin to, ent- I believe that when you begin to entertain this thought, it brings all kinds of uh, conundrums to the equation because if God judged the world then and destroyed all humanity, why is the Nephilim still alive and still existing afterwards? Why do these giants exist? And even now archaeology is showing us they're unearthing you know, human skeletons that are massive and of a large scale. But understand this, they were men. They were men. 
So the sin of the demons was, was not... Uh, I mean, sorry, if the sin was demons having sexual relations with women, then why was it still happening after the flood? You see, the Nephilim were giants and they were wicked before the Lord. Now listen to this. The word Nephilim here in the first instance of, ch- of chapter 4 means in the, in, the, in the Hebrew it means they were Nephilim equals bullies, tyrants. And this gives us an insight into the character, the nature of the Nephilim and the type of people that they were. And so yes, people would then go into the root word of this word Nephilim and how it means to, to uh, fallen or to fall. But in other words, if you uh, study it even further, some will argue that it, the word means to fall upon. Or in other words, what it, what it is about the giants is that they were violent people. There was wickedness that was prominent. There was violence that, was, uh, that had come upon the earth. We see this with Lamech. We see it now in relation to the Nephilim that is referred to in verse 4. And more than that, we find in verse 11 of chapter 6, uh, it says the earth was corrupted before God and the earth was filled with violence. Violence and violence and the fundamental characteristic that that, that, uh, you identify with the Nephilim is violence. Obviously, they they were of a large physical stature. They were obviously stronger. That's why when the children of Israel went to go into the promised land, they said there's giants there. I mean, how, how are we going to overtake them and possess the land? There's giants there. And so they were intimidated at their physical stature and appearance and they were violent and this characteristic we know carried through with them as a people because when we look at Goliath and others in, in, in the Old Testament we see that they were, uh, they were violent in this manner. They were bullies, they were tyrants. That's what the word means. So the earth was filled with violence. Then it says... There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterwards, meaning that they were, those days also indicates that they were there before the daughters. Uh, those days also indicates that they were there before the uh, sons of God went into the daughters of men. They were not the byproduct of the sons of God going into the daughters of men. Then we can go further where it says these were, or those were, the mighty men of old, men of renown. Now again, what is being referred to here? What does it indicate? And so I suggest, and as I state, that it is not something that's abnormal when it says this. In actual fact, it's something that's clear in the scripture for us to understand. And these people were men of renown. They were mighty men who were of old. They were men of renown. And what that those two words indicate is one this this word mighty mighty men is something that we find in uh, used in in the Old Testament again when it relates to the the uh, army of Israel the mighty men of the army the mighty men of David mighty men so mighty men here again carries the thought uh, in this instance uh, of violence it's they were mighty men they were strong but also uh, they were men of renown, or in other words, they were heroes, they were leaders. 
And so uh, when you think of it in this context, Morris Nicholson and Sidlow Baxter, as they both independently write about this, are correct, I believe, in, the, in stating that what the scripture is saying is these were the prominent people of the society and of the world of that, in that time. They were the heroes. In the same way today you have those that are considered the, the prominent uh, leaders and, and figures and heroes and idols of the world that we live in. Men of renown, mighty men, because of their, their physical abilities or attributes or giftings or talents or whatever the case may be and we look at them and we think how, how fantastic they are but yet the, God is saying that they are filled with violence, the earth is filled with violence and there's a, an overflow of wickedness. The same is today. Look at verse 5 or verse 6. Well, actually, verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man. Man here is in the strictest sense of the word. Man. We're not talking about a hybrid of a, of, of, of a class and kind of people that is half demon and half human. It just, it, it's just contrary to the laws of God that relate to the very fact that each produces after its own kind. And so God says, uh, I, I saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and every thought and intent of his heart was only evil and the Lord was sorry that he had made man. He was sorry that he had made man on the earth and that he was grieved in his heart. Verse 7, so the Lord said, I will destroy man in whom I have created both man and beast, creeping thing and the birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. And so again, the reference here is clearly mankind, men themselves. There's no suggestion, there's no indication, there's no reference to somehow some demonoid or some demonic being that's now manifested and being born after the flesh. Think about it. So what we have here is we have a situation where the sin of the sons of God was intermarriage. It was a mixture of the godly seed with the ungodly seed. And this led to complete corruption of humanity. And it was only Noah, it says in verse 8, but Noah found the grace in the eyes of the Lord. So the whole earth had been corrupted. The godly line of Seth had now been corrupted because of the intermarriage and the mixing up of the seed. And uh, this principle is something that we see first stated here but is so prominent throughout the Bible. And we'll see that more so next week as we consider these things. But that's how it is. And so it brought about a, an utter destruction of all that was living in that time. See, this sin is so serious in the sight of God. Remember Jesus in his words, in relation to his own second coming and he made reference to the days of Noah. And in Matthew chapter 24, verse 37 to verse 39, the Bible says, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and they did not know that the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. 
See, they were given and be, they were being given and given to marriage. They were marrying. And so this is, the, this is exactly what Jesus is referring to when it talks about the, 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 the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful and that they took for themselves wives of all of whom they chose. And so and this is exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying that this, 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 these very things will will uh, characterise the world in which we live before the Son of Man comes again for as it was in the days of the flood, eating and drinking. I'll tell you what, eating and drinking characterises our world today more than ever, doesn't it? All these, you know, everyone eating, drinking. It's this whole uh, socialisation of society and so it's all about being perfected in our cooking and, you know, and I'm not saying it's initially wrong, right, ladies, in and of itself, but my point is, is that there is a, uh, we are, you know, uh, we're so over-engrossed now in the, the pleasures and self-indulgences of life. So, you know, they're eating and drinking and they're marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And this is exactly how it was in these days before God brought that judgment in Genesis chapter 6 as we read it. It's identifying the, 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 the circumstances of what's happening in the world today, uh, then prior to the flood and the very line, the, God, the sons of God, the line of Seth began to compromise, began to intermarry with the daughters of men because they were beautiful and in doing so they brought about a corruption of, uh, of, that, of that godly line to the point where God said, it's time to destroy it. But there was only one that found grace in the sight of the Lord and that was Noah. So can you see how much of a serious sin the issue of intermarriage is? You can't mix the two together. And this was a strong, strong, strong emphasis that God made, uh, not only in this instance here as we see it, but also as we find in the children of Israel and we find uh, you trace this truth and you begin now to connect the dots and you relate it to the children of Israel and see how it worked and played itself out in the same ways and then you follow it even into the New Testament even further as we will and begin to see how it all ties itself together because the godly must not mix with the ungodly. You cannot connect light and darkness it's just, it is contrary to the law and purpose of God. And so this truth is the truth that is contained in Genesis chapter 6. It's a truth that must be heeded by all who would call upon the name of the Lord. Because in chapter, this, the line of Seth we are told, uh, being Seth being appointed by God and his, his descendants, they were the ones that were serving God. They were the ones that was, were, to be, they were calling upon God. And Enoch, even the seventh generation, he was still walking with God. God took him. But his, those around him, his brethren around him were not. And so even too, those that would call upon the name of the Lord today, we must be characterised by holiness. We must be characterised by our separation. We must be characterised by our consecration to God that we are not mixing light with darkness, that we are not compromising the truth of God's word, that we are not compromising that which is holy. 
This is the truth that is being put forth to us in Genesis chapter 6 and it finds its expression right throughout the, the, the Bible. And to disobey and to compromise this before God is to invoke the judgment of God upon ourselves. Whether that be an individual or whether that be a group of people or uh, in this instance we're saying even the church. Because it happened to Israel and you think it doesn't happen within the church, the people of God? Because it's the godly line that's in danger. It always has been. And that's where the devil will constantly make his attack. That's why he attacked Israel. That's why he attacked the kings. And you can trace it because it all had to go back to Genesis chapter 3 because the seed, the, the, the seed of the woman would come. And that seed was appointed through Seth. And that's the, that's the godly line. And then it comes through to Abraham and then it moves for, uh, on to the children of Israel. And it goes on and on. And the enemy is attacking, attacking, attacking with the same strategy. Because the children of Israel fall into, into marriage. And that brings about corruption. And then it goes into the New Testament now to those that appointed the elect, and that is the church. And we as the church now must be not fall into, we must heed the lessons of those before us, not fall into the same trap. And so that's why we are to um, uphold, we have a responsibility to uphold our righteousness and to walk holy and to not compromise and to, in this case not to intermarry as with unbelievers as we will see further next week because to do so will invoke the judgment of God because God will have no, no business in such. God will not permit it. So in light of that if, we, if this particular text in Genesis 6, simply taught, if it was simply that, that angels, fallen angels, the Nephilim, the sons of God, demons, began to see the daughters of men that they were beautiful, took them as wives, had sex with them, and then created offspring. What does that mean to us? Nothing. Has no relevance. It's a good story, sounds wonderful. But what relevance does it have to us? None. But if you put it into this context and you put it into this, the, the godly line of Seth and you trace this principle truth throughout Scripture, what relevance does it have to us now? Everything. Everything. The truth contained in this text has a personal application to us all today. And that's what I seek to establish unequivocally and make clear to us as the people of God, as the church of Jesus Christ, that we would understand the obligations that we have. Because if we're going to name the name of the Lord, then we must walk worthy before God. Otherwise, judgment begins in the house of God. And if we were to corrupt the, the, that which is godly, we will invoke God's judgment against us in various ways. And that's what we see in the scriptures. So the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Because when you know the truth, when you know God, when you are his child, then it is imperative that you live and walk according 
to the truth and that which is revealed. Because if you compromise, if you disobey, then you will invoke upon yourself God's chastisement, his judgment. And I tell you, that is a path you do not want to go down. And there have been many that can testify to the consequences of it. Because you can't disobey God and win. You never, you always lose. And so we must take heed of what we see here in the Word of God. And so I'll, I will leave it there. There's so much more that I could say and go to, towards, but I don't want to, I do want to spend some more time tracking through this rather than trying to squash it into 10 minutes worth of ministry. But I think it is important for us to see and identify the sons of God and the particular truth that we find identified in the book of Genesis chapter 6, the sons of God. And let us heed the lesson that it teaches us. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, I just ask that you would open our understanding to the truth, the principal truth that's contained within this portion of text. My God, because it is a serious, serious truth. It's one that when was compromised, Lord brought about a complete corruption of humanity and even invoked the destruction of all flesh. And though you have said, Lord, you will never destroy the earth with a flood, and you have given a covenant, Lord, through Noah, it does not mean, Lord, that the, the times in which we live have changed. And Lord, we as your people, we as the godly line, we ourselves as the sons of God, as we will see in the scriptures next week, we must, Lord, be holy. We must walk in obedience. We must obey. Because, Lord, to corrupt that seed, to intermarry, is a, is a sin before the Lord. It is not right. And so, Lord, I pray that we would, as your people, understand these things and take heed to your word. So I pray your blessing upon your people this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen.